Hello. Hey, Mom, I sent you my conversation with Brandon Brown, and you said there was something you were confused about. The creator economy. Yeah, that's this idea that companies that want to sell their products are reaching out to people who create content in order to uh, tap into their audiences. But the creator is the company that's making the product. That's very confusing to me. Yeah, I could see that. The way that Brandon and his company Grin are using it is to refer to individuals like bloggers, Instagram posters. In the Times the other day, I read about a young woman. She has a degree in architectural design. I don't know if you read about it. She decided to go online, and now she has a few million followers. And what she's doing is showing people how to decorate very, very inexpensively. And so I guess she's a creator. <laughs> so what would Grin do about that? Well, maybe there are tools that she uses in her work, like glue or something. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe the glue marketer might want to identify, like, who are the people out there who are influential in this space, the creators? And it could be they just send them product. It could be paid. Interesting. Every time you send me one of these podcasts, I'm amazed at the new developments that people think of. And this is another one. Are we done? This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin, and I'm so happy that my guest for this episode is Brandon Brown, CEO of Grin. Grin, which recently raised a $110 million Series B on its new narrative, used to just call itself an influencer marketing company. But there were two problems with that. One, most influencer platforms are talent marketplaces. They assemble a stable of bloggers, YouTubers, whatever, and essentially rep them out. But Grin's software helps brands build their own stables of influencers and manage those relationships directly. Brandon knew that was a huge differentiator because it led to more authentic, trusted content. But that point often got lost in the noise when talking to investors, prospects. More critically, Brandon noticed that marketers were using Grin's software to manage relationships not only with influencers, but also journalists for PR, uh, with partners for affiliate selling. And he wanted to tell that larger story about this shift to marketing through people. And that was hard because we're in a space that is very misunderstood from my perspective, misunderstood by CMOs, VPs of, of marketing. People have a way that they've thought about it historically that I felt isn't accurate. I think it's also very noisy and it's hard to create differentiation when there's a lot of players within the same ecosystem. How did people see influencer marketing in a way that you thought was not ideal? Without getting too technical, I think there's programmatic marketing. It's about scale. It's controlled. Non-programmatic, I don't think is organized as such. It's things like athlete marketing, customer advocacy, ambassador programs, influencer marketing, all marketing that goes through people. When people take a programmatic approach to something that's fundamentally relational and human, I think it fails. And so the way that this shows up in the market is people think that influencer marketing and creator management is like buying billboards or like you're, it's advertising and you're, you're, you have this transactional experience. And what we've found is that you need to actually build a relationship with these creators and influencers in order to deliver trusted content to the consumer because trust is actually the key thing here. So I think that's like the biggest misconception in the space that 
we've struggled with for a very long time around how do we communicate that in a way that lands. And I came to you to try to really figure out how to clarify it. How was you telling the story before that wasn't quite achieving what you wanted it to achieve? Our positioning was very tactical. It was about what is the, the like the kind of myopic, isolated problems that the product solves. And the way that we talked about it was influencer marketing for e-commerce. And that was highly differentiated when we launched because uh, people weren't focused on the e-commerce use case. It created very deep focus for us, allowed us to accelerate within that core customer. My view is that there's a much larger category that's forming and it's, it, it, it coalesces around all marketing that goes through people. We now call that creator management. I remember you and I came to your leadership team with a first draft of the narrative and it did not go very well. Um, I'm looking over my notes and people said things like there's no urgency and I don't really get why creators are a big shift rather than some nice to have channel. So we went back to the drawing board and came up with this new articulation of how the world had changed. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I remember that vividly. This is painful, but we got there eventually. So <laughs> the way that I describe this is, look, so I've been in marketing my whole life and I'm constantly talking to marketers every day. And what I'm hearing from marketers is that there's been a fundamental shift in how people consume content. And if I were to sum up that shift, it's that we now live in a creator economy. And you hear this all the time, but what does creator economy really mean? What it means is that we used to tune into stations, these companies, right? We tune into these TV stations, these radio stations, and we have these companies that we tune into. And it's not like that that's totally gone, but what's really taken over our lives is now we tune into people. And so for brands, understanding this is just incredibly high stakes. And I kind of keep going through the narrative, but I think that shift, it's like um, old game, new game, but that like really people like latch onto it because it's just feels true, like in your gut. And I think that was probably the moment. Like you said, the old story was really about the problem solution. This isn't really starting with a problem. It's starting with this shift in in how the consumer is changing. And then, of course, therefore, how you have to react as an advertiser and a seller. I think that's the power of it, really. And, and I think the thing that really helps with our company and for me as the co-founder and CEO is that it feels just so honest and authentic when you distill something down, that's just fundamentally true. Like you get people just nodding their head and that actually feels good because you're not really convincing anybody of anything. People are like, Oh yeah, that's right. And then I say, you've probably seen this in your own life. And then people start thinking about it. I have seen that in my own life. Like I'm watching football on TV, NFL, but I'm also going to the quarterback's Instagram and seeing like what he posted last week. Yeah. One of the mistakes I think people make with strategic narrative is that they're trying to educate people and like you say, I think it really works best when you're kind of more just like encapsulating something that they're already seeing is true in some very compact model. So how has this story been playing? I mean, it's been going really well. You and I spent a lot of time working together last year, and it couldn't have come at a better time. We really moved into a new space to start competing on a new dimension. And we've really broken out as, you know, arguably the, the category leader in the space. So we're really well positioned and been able to raise follow-on capital at great multiples with great partners and the business is doing really well. And the timing, uh, I don't think it was coincidental. I think a lot of it had to do with kind of strategic stuff that you and I combed through together, which was fun, but heavy lifting. You know, one of the controversial decisions I've made in my work is to use the sales deck as the kind of core narrative asset. 
yes, we want to tell this story about the creator economy and what's happening, but we better be able to tell it really fast. And we better be able to tell it in a way that sets up the product as life and death urgent. And the sales deck I find enforces that discipline. Could you talk about, even though we built it as a sales deck, how does this play a role in your leadership beyond sales? I think partly because I'm a marketer. I'm a CEO now, um, but my background is in marketing. I've always been very focused on positioning and storytelling, but admittedly haven't been great at it. And when I came to you, we got introduced to our mutual friend. What I brought to you was like, hey, look, I really want to focus on what's the story that we're telling the team, the market, the investors, and how does that story create competitive advantage for us in this really competitive space? So feeling like we really landed on something that's compelling, it's now been baked into everything that we do. So it's baked into the way that we talk about our culture and the mission and the vision that we're going after. It's baked into the way that we're talking about the category that we're competing in online. It's baked into obviously our sales process. The product team is looking at it, especially the stuff around authenticity being the key element that creates success in the creator economy. Like that actually gets woven into the product strategy. So it's really much more than a sales deck. And I, I like how you've always framed it as like, we're going to use the sales deck as a tool, but it's much more than that. And, and for us, you'll notice if you go through a sales funnel with us, or if you join the company as an employee, or you invest and are on the board, like it's actually baked into everything across the whole company. You mentioned the authenticity thing, and let's, let's go back to that for a second. You said that influencer marketing is a very noisy space. And this was one of the big challenges for us. I mean, there were already uh, some players in influencer marketing who were starting to talk about creators. I remember there was one competitor had a thing like goodbye influencers, hello creators, right? Like, and even this term creator economy was being used. Like, it's certainly not Grin's invention. But your focus on authenticity really set up being able to use the story for differentiation. You're absolutely right in that we're not the first to talk about creator, but our view, I think, around authenticity being the key element that enables things to work really resonates. So the way that we talk about it is we now live in this creator economy, used to new companies, now it's people. We look at all the new breakout brands, the new household brands, Allbirds, Warby Parker, Majuri. They have all arisen from these direct partnerships with creators. This is just super high stakes. And they understand this creator partnership dynamic really well. And what they understand is that if the content is fake or inauthentic, it fails. Because in the creator economy, authenticity is everything. Like You have to be a trusted part of the content that consumers are engaging with in order for it to work. The way that you develop authentic content is by building authentic relationships with creators. I love that because even before we worked together, you were pointing out that most of these influencer marketing platforms are essentially middlemen. They have a stable of influencers who are on their platform, kind of this arm's length transactional, hey, will you pitch my product and I pay you? Almost like you're an advertiser relationship. And by hitting on that authenticity thing, which stems from the shift to people following people that you started with, you're setting up why the differentiation matters. Like going through a middleman is death because you're never going to have that authentic relationship. That, again, is another thing that I believe is fundamentally true that we've always struggled to articulate. But I think we got really good on this. Anyone who is in between the brand and the creators is actually the enemy and the creator economy. They're just way too transactional. Creators end up promoting these products they don't use just to make money. The content comes out as totally fake and inauthentic. And it's just true. Like if you talk to high growth brands, like this is how they believe. The, the key differentiator for us is that we're not a middleman. In order to deliver trust, you need an actual relationship. How is Grin helping the marketer 
create this authentic relationship that's not possible through a marketplace? So it starts with discovery. So our discovery helps them find people with brand fit. One of the key ways that we do that is through looking through their customer list. So we have technology that goes and says, who's already purchased from this person? And then we surface them. We say, hey, this person clearly has some affinity for your product. You should reach out to them, collaborate with them. Second is all the communication comes from the brand, not from Grin. To the creator. To the That's right. To the creator. So instead of us saying, hey, Grin has a new sponsorship or collaboration for you. It's literally the marketing manager at Nike. They, they connect their email to Grin. We get them organized. And then when they reach out to the creator, it's you know Andy at Nike or Andy at Red Bull or whatever. So it feels direct and authentic. And it actually is because we're not in the middle of that. And the third is that we don't actually have a login. Like we're not, we don't require creators to join our supply side network in order to partner. Now, if they want to share certain data, they, they do need to do that. But it, that's actually fundamentally different where the gating factor on most marketplaces is like, we want supply. So you have to log in. But then what you're doing there is you're putting someone in between the brand and the creator, which again, if you look at it surface level, makes sense. You're going to get network effects. You're going to be the biggest one. It's like very logical for a tech person to think that, but what they're missing is this authenticity piece that relationships matter. And that, in my view, is the key unit that makes brands successful. I love that. You have been telling this story like everywhere. <laughs> um, I see you posting on LinkedIn, like literally this whole story about the shift in people used to tune into companies and now we tune into people. I see you doing videos about it. It's now in your sales deck. It's almost as if the thing you're selling is creator management or creator economy, not grin. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. And I think we've always like thought of ourselves as doing this, but it hasn't been super well-baked and thoughtful. And I think now that we have this aligned narrative and message, it's very clear. But the core purpose around our company is around growth and authenticity. It's like nothing to do with influencer or creator. We're really selling a philosophy and a mission, enable more trust between brands and consumers via these creator relationships. We have software that enables that mission. People have very specific problems. People come usually to a software provider, especially inbound, because they have like a very specific problem. But this industry is so nascent and immature relative to where it will be in 10, 15 years that it needs real leadership to help educate the buyers around what high quality and effectiveness looks like. And so we tell the story everywhere. And we're also, if people don't align with, that's fine. They can go work with someone else because there's a lot of other software and tech providers who don't believe what we believe. And that's okay. We want people who are aligned with what we're doing. So I use this, this story pretty much all the time, like in conversations, in interviews, people are so interested in creator economy, influencer marketing, but there's a lack of people who have well-rounded perspective on what good looks like. And so as I've gone on to social and started sharing you know, how we think about the world, a lot of which is informed by our work together, I mean, it clearly resonates. Like, I don't have a huge audience on LinkedIn and the posts are going like 50x my audience, it's more amazing. 100x my audience. So it strikes a nerve where people like, like it, share it. That's great. Any advice you'd have for CEOs who are going down this path? Well, one, I think it's the right path. I'd consider this exercise a top three strategic move that we've made in the last probably 18 months. I think when you get the right narrative, it mobilizes the team, it mobilizes the board, it 
educates the market, starts to create really passionate believers. Um, it really helps in all areas. So for me, I would get started. The other thing I would say is, assuming you're a founder or founder CEO, I would say, you know what will land. Like you have a vision that's gotten you this far. At, at the end of the day, you do need to go talk to customers and you need to talk to the team and there's smart people around you. So you should listen to them and use those inputs, but also recognize it and have conviction in what's enabled you to get here. Because a lot of the kernels that you believe are probably true. And if some aren't, you should be open-minded and, and take that information in and be non-defensive and adjust your position, but also have conviction in like your belief system, because that is really like the nugget that is going to push the narrative through to, to new heights once you kind of run a process around it. So great reconnecting with Brandon. I hadn't spoken to him since the raise and how gratifying to hear about the impact of our work together. The one takeaway I'll call out is that balance Brandon mentioned between the CEO taking ownership while at the same time being open to input. Like you heard, Brandon and I got some really harsh feedback from his leadership team about the first direction we tried. And I don't think we ever would have found a better path without that stress the CEO ownership part, but the team guidance is really critical too. The team, I find, is always right. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela May Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Brandon Brown, Brian Meacham, Chris Hardiman, Ali Vazal, Catherine Vascones, and everyone at Grin. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Richard Raskin, Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, Victoria Zenoff, and Carol Wasp. And remember, the company story is the company strategy. Hold up. 